0: today that uh, I think is just going to be, at the very minimum, is sometimes controversial in in nature because of oh, just what we've been taught, different ones have been taught, different things, and uh, this is probably more questions about this than anything arises in this church. I think most of the things that we teach are, are pretty well understood in this church and and so, and I thought about this. I'm not going to teach this morning to the church down the street. The Lord's just going to have to touch them and reveal to them. And I'm not teaching in any other place, or, but just right here at this church and, and among our people. And the things that we have to say this morning, it's not to raise questions and issues. hopefully is to dissolve some questions and issues about a certain thing I want to teach this morning it's not something that I normally do and probably be more teaching than preaching but I want to teach this morning about the Holy Spirit about the theology of the Holy Spirit and so your background is is going to make a great difference in how you see these things uh, where you've been where you've been to church who's taught you family traditions and different things way into this but I want to bring you in the scope of Scripture this morning as best as I can so that we understand as clearly, you know, I only can preach in the light that I have. Does everybody understand that? We preach in the light we have. And so as the Lord illuminates the Scripture, then then we try and teach there. And so we're going to go into the Scripture. I just want to catch one little part's in John 14, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. John 14 and the 17th and the 18th of verses. The 17th verse, John 14. The spirit of truth. I just want you to take note of how this is framed. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him. But you know him. He's talking to his disciples. The world cannot see him. Actually uses a, a personal pronoun. Greek autos, the world does not see him or know him, but you know him. And and, and then listen, I hope this, this just kind of leaps out to you. But you know him for he abides with you and shall be in you. So I'm going to have to say, stopping right there at this point, that the Spirit of truth, which is going to be synonymous if you follow in Scripture, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, is not in them. It's not in them. Because He's foretelling in the Scriptures, but you know Him for He abides with you and shall be future tense, shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. I want to stop right there, and the reason why, when we look in the Greek text, Some of the things that are there in the English don't appear in the Greek text. And and so I just want to take these two scriptures. We can go on and on in the 14th, 15th, and 16th uh, chapters. It is the Lord who starts in the 14th chapter. To begin and tell them, don't be agitated inside of you. Don't, Don't get anxious and upset and nervous. That's how he starts this thing. And then he begins to explain to them some things. So I hope we can deal with that this morning. I certainly don't understand all the mind of God, but like I said, we're going to give you the light that we have. Would you pray with me, Lord? We ask you now to touch us. Lord, and I'm not up here for debate purposes. I'm not up here to set records straight. What I'm up here to do, Lord, is encourage the church. I'm up here to see it the way you see it, the way that you told it. I pray that you would anoint me, and I've already prayed about this. Lord, give me an elevated discourse this morning that doesn't come from my mind or the mind of man or the teaching of men, but rather comes from the understanding of the Spirit of the Lord today, and I pray that you would touch us, God, and I pray that you would just show your glory, Jesus, Amen. How many of you are from a Baptist background? Let's see. So hold them way up. i got, I got to see a count here. How many of you are from a community church background? Methodist, uh, anything other than a Pentecostal background. How many of you are from Pentecostal background? Okay, we've got such a mixture here. This is awesome. And so you can be taken wrong at any moment here because... We have so many people to raise different directions. So anything I say can or will be used against me. You know, almost the Miranda thing, anything, yeah. So I would say about 15 years ago, after I had already been preaching this exact way and this doctrine, Rodney comes up to me, he says, Dad, have you read this book? Have you seen this book? And uh, Dr. Frank Stagg, I said, no, I don't know anything about that. He said, this guy says some of the very same things that you're saying. Hmm. I didn't get it from somebody else, and so there's not like a textbook I could go to, and me and Frank read the same thing. That didn't really happen that way, but... But as the Lord began, you know, and, and just some issues. I mean, there's, I, I'm sure that every one of us don't see perfectly alike. But in these, these some, some major issues, and, and he read me a few things, and I begin to read this book. It now sits on my desk, and I refer to it from time to time. Let me tell you about Frank Stagg. He's a good Pentecostal brother. He is the James Buchanan Harrison professor, of New Testament in Southern Baptist Seminary. A native of Louisiana, he taught in New Orleans Baptist Seminary for nearly twenty years. I was raised Pentecostal, so see, we're just we're just there. Did you get that? He's Baptist of Pentecostal. But let me tell you about the Spirit of the Lord. When God gets a hold. By his spirit, there's this thing that begins to come out that really isn't denominational. It's not put up there by training of denomination. But it is openness of the spirit of the Lord. And that's why when I read some of his work and I said, well, that's that's how I've been feeling about this for a long time. It's not because I was Pentecostal and and he was Baptist and we came together. It is because the Spirit of the Lord begins to illuminate some things that maybe you never saw in your life. Maybe you didn't understand it in your life. And I think at this period of time in my life, I was ready and open to say this. And and we kind of challenge the church with this from time to time. If God wanted to change you, would you let him? a really tough question because most of us are entrenched in what we believe by now. You know, we've been, a lot of us were raised in church and Sunday school and and we respected our teachers and pastors of the past. And for that reason, in a lot of ways, we just get set. This is the doctrine I feel. This is where I'm at. And I'm not going to change that. Nobody's going to change that. This is where, this is what I've learned. And then that's good to a point. But if God wants to change you, the problem with us is that we would have to say that I'm wrong. I had somebody come to me and, and was upset because most of their life they believed a certain thing. And what we were preaching and teaching in this church, this person said, This just really changes things, and and I guess I was just wrong most of my life. And I said this, and the Lord brought this to me. Are you upset at yourself that at one point in your life you were 10 years old? The way you saw the world at 10 years old hopefully is not how you see it now. When we learn and we grow, and I mentioned this last week, that that the, the, the effort of the apostle many times was to teach the church that we grow in wisdom, that we grow in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how many scriptures that I laid out, and I just read them really, really quick, and all of them said that we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, or or at least referred to that. And, And I think as Christians, as we go along, and God begins to change some things in our life. I don't think we look back and say I was wrong, and and look at where I was all these years. I was. I don't think it's about being wrong. I think it's about growing in the Lord. Can you say Amen? And I want to constantly grow in the Lord. I, and I said this last week. Being disciples, you never move from being a disciple. Even if you become an apostle, you still are a disciple. But a disciple is a learner. It's one that God can infuse into you by his word, by his spirit, and you begin to learn. And if you, you get to a place where you don't learn anymore, then really you become stagnant. And so God, keep us as disciples. Can the church say amen? And so I want to read to you just, just a couple of things out of here. And uh, so you can't throw stones at me directly, even though I believe this. Let me read to you what Frank Stagg the uh, lifelong Southern Baptist seminary professor said. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the third person of the Trinity. Uh Uh-oh, and I don't know why they didn't fire him right there. The Holy Spirit is God in nearness and power, anywhere, at any time. The very divine presence incarnated in Jesus Christ, now present in his people. He is not a third of God, nor one third of God. He is God himself, relating to us in judgment, guidance, strength, redemption or otherwise, I'm just going to skip over to one other uh, um, paragraph, yes. Theology's problem is that it has no terms or models which do justice to the reality of God in the richness of his self-disclosure to us and his presence with us. Our point is that when we encounter God as Father, it is God himself, not a fraction, whom we meet. When we encounter God as Son, it is God Himself who was with us, or Emmanuel. When we encounter God as Holy Spirit, it is God Himself whom we encounter. This understanding of the oneness of God is of utmost importance in all that we are to understand about the Holy Spirit I don't know why they let him continue to teach. I'm serious. Because the doctrine that is taught there is very opposite of what this man saw. But what what astounds me is that he was still in his place, that he was still a professor. But yet God could break through everything that he had been taught, everything that was surrounding him. And right in the middle of that whole thing, God begins to speak to him about his whole oneness, about who he is. And and this man responds and is able to say, okay, I know how I was raised. I know my heritage. I know my teachers. But, God, you have infused something into my heart that goes a little further than what they taught. And thank you, Lord, because now I see something that I didn't see before, and now I understand something more clearly This is the theology of God. We talked about theology, and somebody said that's dry and that's hard and it's stale and it just, you know, it's not exciting. But I found out that it is very, very exciting for me. It exuberates my soul. It teaches me really who God is in His presence. And His self-disclosure to us becomes real to us, not just in an emotion, but it becomes real to us in the fact of theology in His Word. Everybody's still okay. Say amen. I haven't even started. That was Frank Stagg. So Jesus says in John 4, to a woman who is following her father's teaching and they are worshiping God. They are worshiping Yahweh. But Jesus says to her, you worship what you do not know. They're saying the right name. They're probably having the right form of services and godliness, but you really don't know what you're doing. That, that I have a fear of that. Lest that we turn a direction that feels good to the flesh. And it makes everybody happy, and we all go home, we're all smiling, and it's all good. Boy, isn't it great to be in church, but we really didn't get the trueness of the Word of God into our life. And one thing I watch is the teachers in this church, and thank God for our teachers, can you say amen? The teachers in this church, they study themselves to stay. With that same approach that we take in preaching this gospel, that it, that you learn Christ, that it gets infused inside of you, and that we stay in the scripture. Theology is a is a combination, combination of two words, theos and logos. And it's taken from the old Greek Theos, God, and Logos, which means reasoning or logic, and they're put together and it really becomes just the understanding about God. Now in John 1.1, in the second stanza of John 1.1, it says in the Greek, Theos ain ha logos. And so you have theos and you have logos. And it really just means, and God was the logos. So they were combined, which makes theology. And John, John was a great one to teach theology. And a lot of people don't like, uh, reading the 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 Gospel of John because I feel like that maybe you know it seems so separate. You got three gospels that are really a lot alike, and then you get to get to John and John, John saying some things that they're not saying. He's saying some things that make you think, that make you stop in your tracks and begin to think about some issues in God. And so, uh, when John begins his work right in the first verse, he connects God and reasoning, and so we begin to reason about the things of God. And I believe that it's not only okay, that it is necessary for us as Christian people to reason in the things of God. So we look at this aspect of Christendom that's largely misunderstood. And by the Lord's help, we hope to bring just a little clarity. But let me say that I don't pay much attention to things that come up on the internet too much, and I let Kay do all my Facebook work. I didn't do any of it, and so she connects with her relatives and friends and a lot of you, you know, call back and forth and talk and all that stuff, and, and I'm Zippo. You try and get me on Facebook, it's nothing, but what she will do is fill me in whether I want it or not, and sometimes I don't, and sometimes I do. Um, But someone had posted, I don't know if it was Facebook or what, but somebody had posted, and we were back in Colorado just a few weeks ago, and somebody posted this. You might have ran across this. It's so open anyway. And their question was, does the Holy Spirit have a body? And I thought, wow, somebody finally put something good out there. It's in the form of a question. Does the Holy Spirit have a body? And so that began to, you know, kind of stimulate my thinking, and and that's why we've got to where we are this morning. If we only proceed in our Christian faith in the realm of past tradition in our life, and I just talked about this, what we've been taught, coming down from people, person to person. We can't expect that theology is going to stay accurate. It has to continually be weighed against the canon. In other words, there is a formal foundational truth that whether tradition stays on that truth or does not stay on that truth, the truth still remains where it's at. Jesus put it this way to the Jews. He said, through your traditions, you have made the word of God, which is the canon, the rule, the law. You've made the word of God of none effect because your tradition overlapped and through the years of time and generations of time and handed down through time, instead of checking that with the word of God, they just held with their tradition and the tradition Begin to stray a little bit, and it just got off balance a little bit. And here's the Lord trying to bring it back to balance, bring it back to the Word of God, and says to them, because your traditions have led you, you, the Word of God really doesn't affect you anymore. I see that in the Christian church in a measure. I mean, we're going through it. And again, Rodney reads some of this stuff and searches on the way to work. We're talking about it, but the stuff that's coming up now... Fifty years ago, they would not even have allowed a person like that to speak anything about the church. Some of the things that preachers are coming up with, they're denying really the effect or the validity of Scripture now. Is that Scripture really isn't, and they're trying to explain Scripture away that's so plain it needs no explanation And just explain it away and explain it away. And it's now, it's coming to the place where traditions are ruling. People's ideas are ruling what the last generation thought, it falls over to the next generation, the next generation, and and now we've come to a place of several generations that have sort of strayed away from the Word of God and got into a place where the theology of what is being taught now, and I'm talking about Pentecostalism, the, the theology of what's being taught there now, not only has strayed from the Scripture, but it really is damnable in its nature. So, you get some little preachers, I'll include the rest of us too, some little preachers in the corner of who knows where out here, Anderson, California, on the way to the park. Man, we're gonna stand up and we're gonna set the world right. Well, it's not gonna happen. What we're gonna do is we're gonna preach the gospel for this body so that we maintain that what we knew in the past or or what we felt like preachers and teachers had and their ideas and thoughts, they were good. But if it doesn't line up to the accuracy of the Word of God, we have to say, hey, we're putting on the brakes right there, and we're not going to go that direction, but we're going to stay with the Word of God and start the tradition over founded in the Word of God. Is that okay? Say amen. Somebody said, and I've heard this, and I don't know that you have been around this school of folks, but we just need to get back to the old ways. Has anybody beside me heard that said about the church, this church age now? Yeah, there's a few. We need to get back to the old ways. Well, I will say that that, that could be right, and to a certain degree that is right. But some of the old ways were just not scripturally sound and so if I just go back to the old way because God moved in the old time God moved in him. boy I'm telling you what we had time we had revival we had all kinds of stuff going on and it was really great well I don't think it was because of an old way I think somebody got a hold of the Lord so if we can get a hold of the Lord it really don't have to revert back to something else what we need to do is get current with the Lord right now and how he wants to work in the church right now and, and not just you know what we thought and what we did but right now God wants to establish In this body, God wants to bring us to a place where we are living, thriving, overcoming Christians, testimonies of the Lord Jesus Christ and his power. And that's where we desire to be. And so I remember my grandmother, grandfather got saved back in the early 1900s. And I bring this up, and this this is no joke, but I bring this up. Because sometimes the old ways were not accurate ways. They literally preached about women wearing open-toed shoes. That it was just raising them up. They needed to be humble about heels on shoes for women. They were elevating their self. Now, how did we get there? It had to be traditional because if I look in the, in the New Testament, they were all wearing sandals. And their dirty toes were sticking out. But if we get traditional enough, we start to leave the Word of God and really logic and reasoning in the Word of God, and we establish these little places of worship which God was never in. Amen. The Reformers in the 1500s, and a lot of people look back at the Reformers and Protestantism. That's where we got Protestantism. And I've long said I'm not a Protestant. I'm not protesting the Catholic Church. I have nothing to do with the Catholic Church. I didn't come out of it. I got nothing to do with it. So I'm not a Protestant. I'm not one that follows the Reformers. The Reformers did reform some things, and but they taught this three-person God system and at the same time they condoned the murder of people who didn't hold the same uh, theological views as them. Surely the Spirit of God is not working in murder. The Anabaptists were murdered because they didn't believe that you could sprinkle a baby and that they would be baptized for the rest of their life. And they jailed Anabaptists that were in France and in Europe in places. Jailed them, put them on trial, drowned them in rivers, burned them at the stake because they didn't hold the same theological view as the Reformers. I'm talking about the Reformers doing that. So that's traditional. Should we believe that way? Absolutely not. They erred from the word of God. I know that you've heard this old story. I hope I get it right. The little girl said to her mother, why do you cut the end of the ham off before you cook it? How I many have heard this story? Okay, most of you. She said, I don't know. My mother did it that way. You'll have to ask her. The little girl goes to grandma and says to grandma, why Do you cut the end of the ham off before you cook it? She said, I don't know. My mother cut the end of the ham off before she cooked it. You'll have to talk to her. And great-grandma, she went to great-grandma. Great-grandma, why do you cut the end of the ham off before you cook it? She said, because my pan was too short. That's basically what we've done with tradition in the church. We don't know why. We have no idea. But Grandma did it. Ex-pastor did it. So-and-so did it. In the Baptist movement, this is how we did it. In the Methodist movement, this is how we did it. We come through community church, this is how we did it. We come through Pentecostalism, this is how we did it. And so why are you doing it? I don't know. You're going to have to go ask the other generation. I don't know why we're doing it that way. It's not in the Bible. But it's traditional to us. I'm setting you all up this morning. I hope you you know that. I hope you know that. So much of what's called old time revival was set in a fleshly exuberance and emotion instead of a sincere desire to draw closer to the Lord. Now watch this. It's a fine line. You can get emotional and exuberant serving the Lord, absolutely. But you can opt for the emotion and exuberance instead of having this sincere desire in your heart. I've got to find him. I've got to get close to him. Lord, I need you to change me. I need you to help me in the situations that I'm at to to become that man or woman of God, to become that servant of God. And really, that emotion seems to pacify and to overdo that desire to really come clean before the Lord. Can you say amen? And so a lot of things about old-time revival, let me put it this way, and if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit of God, then we got to talk about tongues because that's where the great question is, about tongues and and about who gets tongues and and how they come and when they come and, and all that kind of thing. But really what's happened in the past that I have noticed that they have traded off in many times, in many circles, in many places, traded off speaking in tongues for desire, deny, die daily. Because if I speak in tongue now, I don't need to do those things. I've already come to another level. And let me dispel that for you this morning. That is not a fact of theology in the Word of God. The fact is, you're going to desire, you're going to deny, you're going to die daily, take up your cross and follow Jesus. There's no way out. You don't get to speak in tongues over it. You don't get to do anything else over it. That is a requirement for the Christian believer and faith in Jesus Christ. So what we're trying to do here this morning is is pursue the spirit of truth, not just the side, only the side effects. I believe in the side effects of the moving of the spirit of God. I do. But I can't trade out the side effects of what God's going to do in my life for the personal pursuit of who He is. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? It doesn't fix the idea of, you know, now I felt a, a cold chill go down my back. I think I'll oh, run around the church, which, you know, we've had that. I'm I'm not, don't do it while I'm preaching for sure. But, but, you know, people in emotional, sometimes we'll jump. Sometimes we raise our hands. Sometimes we cry, and the Lord's just touching it. But that's not a trade-out in your life. That's a side effect of what God may be doing in your life, but not the whole. Because God's got something that He wants to do to you by His Spirit. So we're going to look at some this systematic theology of the Holy Spirit. Boy, this is going to be a drag, Pastor. No, I'm going to keep it loud and quiet. Loud. So so we can all stay with it. We need to establish first a scriptural foundation. You have been in this church a while. You'll see some repetition here, but in John 4, Jesus introduces a thing. And I believe in the King James Version it will say God is a spirit. He's talking to the woman at the well. But really, the Greek reads it this way Penuma hotheos. There is no indefinite article there. God is not a spirit. That's one of the things that you've been taught. I've been taught. God is a spirit. If God is a spirit, then he is confined. If God is confined in any way, then he is not infinite. He's finite. The word finite means a limit. It means a boundary. I don't believe God has boundaries. Can you say Evan? He can only go so far and then he has to stop right there. Well, if you take God and call him a spirit, then there must be some stopping point somewhere. But no, I believe God is spirit. If you're going to look at God, the closest thing that we can even say about him and his nature as God is that he is spirit. There's nothing that stops him. Nothing confines him. Nothing holds him in. This is why I don't like the term ghost. Ghost is an apparition. Anywhere you look it up, Old Testament, New Testament, phantom Ghost, I don't like the word ghost because God is not a ghost. He is not an apparition. God is everywhere. God, there is no limit to him. No wonder, David said, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I ascend into the heavens, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, thou art there. God is everywhere. It's not as if he has an apparition and has to produce that in order to get his presence there. God's presence is available. I like that because Frank Stack just said that. He said, The Holy Spirit of God is everywhere. So when I pray to God, it's not like, okay, give me a a ticket, a line in heaven. I'm number 4,260. Whenever you get done with them, no. God is everywhere. So to say that God is confined in a spirit, I think I would have a problem with that, but God is spirit. And in God is spirit does not allow for plurality. God is not spirits. God is not Lord's. He is not God's. He is not distinct persons. God is spirit. You can't put a container on him. In fact, you can't even number him. To take the earthly number system and to try and number God is just foolish. He's not restricted by numbers. He is who he is. He will show who he is. He will self-declare who he is. God is just almighty. His spirit is everlasting everywhere, every time. Ephesians 4 says it this way. Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is progenitor over everything. And it's awesome. Well, let's establish scriptural foundation number two. There's a single defining distinction that separates God from all other spirits. I want you to know an evil spirit is an apparition. An evil spirit is a ghost. He's not everywhere at all times like God is, spirit. Confined in some sort of a ghostly body, a spirit has limits. But God in his spirit is separated from all the spirits of the demons. You'll know him every time there is no question about him. He's separate from every evil force. He's separate from every earthly force. Because he puts in front of his name something that separates him. He is holy. Let me tell you about God. He's spirit, but there is not anything about him that is not holy. Before he's anything else, he is holy first. Before anything else, he is righteous. He is true. He is faithful. He is God, the everlasting, true, abiding one, self-sufficient, self-reliable. He is Holy this morning. If you're going to worship him, you've got to worship him as holy. You can't worship him in another way. You know not what you worship if you worship him in another way. He is first holy and righteous and pure and good. And every good and perfect thing is in him. Can the church just say amen right there? And because of that, no manifestation of the spirit of truth will be real if it's void of the effects of holy. I want to let that sink for a minute. No manifestation. Prophetic, a tongue, a gift of knowledge, wisdom, healing, miracles, signs, wonders. If it is void of holy, it's not of the Spirit of God. And the reason why I say that this morning is all through this valley. And there is a a school teaching young people just exactly the opposite of this. Trying to teach them that really God is about signs and wonders. God is not about signs and wonders. He is about holy. Holy. What he wants to do to fallen man is not signs and wonders. What he wants to do to fallen man is bring them back to a state of holiness in their life. There's a reason why we are called saints using the same word that describes the Spirit of God. Hagios. The saints of God are called Hagios because when his Spirit gets inside of you, it's not there to help you speak in a tongue. It is there to make you holy as he is holy. That it's the work of the holy spirit of god wow i think we're doing pretty good can you say amen i'm enjoying it. i hope you are getting something out of this so if there's a manifestation and it's called holy spirit and doesn't bring forth fruits of holiness you can just mark her down in your book doesn't matter who they are If they're not bringing forth holiness in their life, it's not the move of God. Because that's going to take precedence over all the rest of the stuff that might happen. And there's some great things that can happen when God's in control. We stand right here sometimes, and a word of knowledge goes right out of this place. I know Brother Aaron has. I have Pastor Rodney. Pastor, sometimes you're standing in front, and God will just show you something quick. It's the Spirit of God. But listen, if it doesn't align, if it doesn't work with holiness, then it certainly is not for the church. It's some other thing. Don't don't deal in it. Don't get in it. Because God wants to make His people holy. What He wants to make them is like Him. No wonder the Scripture said, till we all come to the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. What do you think? he is, he is holy this is what God is doing in our life so a tongue of prophecy a sign of wonder that does not leave a holy impact is fleshly fabricated again and I don't want to pick at Pentecostal movement because I was raised in a lot of great, good, wonderful things happened there. But I've seen a lot of fabrication. And you have too. I'm very careful when somebody's going to put their hand on me and prophesy over me. I'm very careful about that. I don't just need, for one thing, I don't need people to put their hands on me and prophesy. If the Lord's got something, he's already dealing with it in my heart. Can you say Amen out of the blue shoot something at you there. I don't know anything about that. But it's holy work and holiness in my life. Okay, holy is not a name. So I can put up on the board here for you, Holy Spirit. It's a name of a third person of God. No, 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 no. Holy is not a name. It's not a name in English. It's not a name in Hebrew. It's not a name in Greek. It's not a name in Latin. Holy is an adjective. Does everybody know what an adjective does? Well, for those that don't, it's a word naming an attribute added to a noun to describe it. And so in this in this sense, it's spirit added to spirit to describe the spirit. It could have been power. It could have been magnificence. It could have been all kinds of things attached to the word Spirit, and we could have been receiving, you know, the great dunamis spirit. No, it's the holy spirit because the adjective is put there to distinguish the difference between that which is false and that which is true. This is the scale, this is the weight of the scale. Holiness on one side and frivolousness. On the other, somebody said it just made me mad. I heard him preaching and talking up at a big church and said this. The Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, they use the Holy Ghost is fun. You got the wrong adjective. The Holy Spirit, maybe the Holy Ghost, I don't know. Maybe that is fun. The Holy Spirit of God is holy. Can the church say amen? So let's, let's trot on here. I want to try and get done. And so, number three foundational, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Holy One. How many would agree with that? That seems like a pretty easy statement. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Holy One. Well, we can find out who the Holy One is. We're going to be in pretty good shape. Luke 4, Jesus of Nazareth The demon said, I know who you are. The demon was more privy than the high priest. The high priest didn't know who Jesus was. The demon did, though. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. Thou art the Holy One of God. The Hagios of God. And then John the Baptist says this about the Lord. He, the Holy One, will baptize you in spirit Holy John 20:22 20, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them receive ye the holy spirit and just for the word spirit interchangeable with breath And I love this because this is so easy. This is so clear. We're not bringing an apparition into this thing. We're not bringing a ghost into this thing. The Lord himself looks at his disciples and they're sitting in a room listening to him as he is talking to them. And suddenly he inhales and exhales into them and upon them and says, Receive the holy breath of God. What is he doing? He's showing that the Holy Spirit of God doesn't come from an apparition. It comes from out. Out of within him, he will baptize you. He will baptize you you're not getting baptized by a different one you're not getting baptized by another spirit but he will breathe into each one of your life listen if you are truly filled by the spirit of God it won't be another person it will be the Lord himself who opens his mouth and breathes into you and you receive the breath of the power of the spirit of God and you become alive in Christ Jesus See, this is a factor. This rings true to us because we're all about Christology. We're all about the centrality of Jesus. So this rings true to us. Years ago, and I'm going to bring Kay into this. I hope you don't mind. I had never heard Kay speak in tongues. We're on the brink of pastoring. Of course, I've been a contractor all my life and most of my life. The idea of pastoring was, oh, man, I don't know. I've been down that road. I grew up in that road, you know. I don't know, Lord. But I want K. Because we're going to have to do this together. Sister Pastor Ladies Pastor K. And you can't pull apart. I've seen homes do that, right? We got little kids. They're little guys then. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I need some kind of a sign. and Show me something here. And, and and I've never heard, you know, Kay speaking anything but mad English, you know. <laughs> and, uh, we're at the big meeting time, Barnett's church, and I mean, preachers are all over that place. They're on their knees. They're crying. God was moving, just touching people. And right from behind me, I heard a voice. To began to speak in a language that I didn't know. Without trying to seek something, without making myself manifest, and I'm going to do a thing, and I'm going to get a thing, and I'm going to She just lifted her hands and God began to speak. Now, was she filled with the Spirit of God before? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Dedicated Christian to the Lord all her life. But God showed a sign to her and a sign to me. Just that it was just something for us. Nobody else there needed to know anything. They didn't, nobody heard anything. Nobody it was to us. One of the things that we've got going in what we call oneness movement right now is that I'm not going to tell you you're saved until I hear you speak in tongues. You don't have the right to do that. You're not the Savior, and you're not part of my salvation. I rest my faith solely in Jesus Christ, and if I'm a failure, it has nothing to do with you, I rest in Him. That's why when I look at his spirit, I'm not looking for a different spirit. And when I go to praise, I'm not looking to praise a different way and a different spirit. But when I go to pray, and when I go to praise, and when I go to study, and when I go to hear him, I've just got one thing in mind, and that is my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the filler. He's the baptizer. He is the one who does all things in our life. Wow, the Holy One. Got one more. I got a couple more. 1147. Number four, Jesus is Lord. 712 references of Lord in the New Testament, and almost every one of them is directed at Jesus. Philippians, the second chapter. He is Lord to the glory of the progenitor. He is Lord. In fact, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, right? He is Lord. But I want to take you to a place now real quick. I want to stretch you a little bit. Matthew, the first chapter, and 20th verse. The little child that was birthed in Mary's womb was fathered of the Holy Spirit. Oh there's that other apparition coming in no wait a minute Jesus is Lord second Corinthians third chapter and 17th verse and the Lord is the spirit. Say so, well how does that work then? Was he his own father? Absolutely. Jesus, in spirit, fathered the begotten in the womb of Mary, God, the spirit of God, it said. So who is Jesus' father? Well, he must be the Holy Ghost. No, Jesus' father is the spirit of God which registered birth into Mary's womb. And when he came forth, the angels begin to say, there he is, Lord. He is born. He was Lord in the spirit. He is Lord in the flesh. Jesus is Lord. He is the one who made it all happen, not some other entity, some other person, some other thing. And so the body of the Lord was fathered of the spirit of the Lord. Let me say the true evidence. Somebody said, You'll know when you receive the Holy Spirit, or usually they say Holy Ghost, is because you'll speak in tongues. Well, the Scripture doesn't teach it that way. The true evidence is not speaking in tongues. The true evidence of God's Spirit and filling in your life is that you become a changed individual and holiness begins to take over in your life. How many here can say this morning, man, I know what I was, but when God got a hold of my life, holiness started happening. I never could do that myself. You know, I tried a few times to do that, but you know, I just kept sinning. But thank God, it was at Calvary, it was the accepting of His Spirit into my life. It was at Calvary that sin's power was broken over me. I don't have to sin anymore because the Spirit of holiness is in my life. I have a choice. I still can, but thank God the power of sin is broken off my life, and what? takes effect in my life now is breathed by Jesus into me and that is the power of his Holy Spirit that is alive in us. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And So Paul puts it this way, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things begin to pass away. And all things become new, and all things are of God. Wow, just a whole life change. What's that about? That's about the Spirit in filling your life. Well, Pastor, I've never spoken tongues. Well, let me take you to a scripture then that says, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8 and 9, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, then you're none of His. I am of Him, though, Pastor, and I have never spoken tongues. If, if you have the Spirit of Christ, you are His. It doesn't say anything about gifts. It doesn't say anything about signs and wonders. It says if you have the Spirit of Christ, you are His. And so what I need in my life is the Spirit of Christ. What I've got to have in my life, oh, Lord, help us, fill us with your Spirit, Lord, so that the Spirit of Christ lives and abides inside of us by what we call The Holy Presence or the Holy Spirit of God. I finally got to my text. And we're going to close soon, so hang on. Almost done. The Spirit of Truth, John 14, 17. The Spirit of Truth which the world cannot receive because it does not see Him. It uses, again, it uses that pronoun, see there, that self-reflexive pronoun. It doesn't see Him. But it's not just in the visual, it's in the perception. They don't see him. Don't understand him. And they can't see him because their eyes are blinded. Paul said their eyes have been blinded. They don't perceive him and they don't know him. I like this though. He's telling his disciples, but you know him. Well, they can't see him either. See the apparition? floating? Lord, you know, show us the Father. We want to see the apparition. And Jesus said, You know him. And because he abides, not just with you, he abides alongside you. Uh oh. And he will be in you. All right, Pastor Ronnie, help me out. No. No, I'm going to have you. you got your Bible. Come here. Okay, we're walking together. Me and this good buddy right here. Just just walk over there. Hey, we're going. He's walking right with me. You know, we're in lockstep. Look at that. Turn around. He's walking with me. But can you get in me? No, no, no. You can't. You can't live in me. But you can walk with me. Sit down. Good job. Good job. Yeah, you Bishop know, illustration there. Jesus is doing the same thing as his disciples. Let's say that's Jesus and Peter, and they're just they're just walking, lockstep, man. They're they're friends, buddies, compadres. But Jesus said, You know him. He's walking alongside you. But he shall be in you. And therefore, I don't leave you orphans. Everybody know what an orphan is? An orphan, it's a transliterated word from the Greek. All it means is you don't have a father. You basically don't have anybody. You're an orphan. You're detached. I'm not sending you out there as orphans, Jesus says. But I am coming, and that's why I like the Greek. I am coming towards you. I'm not backing off from you. Now you're going to look at this. I'm going to the cross and it looks like I'm going away. I'm not going away. I'm coming towards you. And what you thought was uh, that the Savior's gone. He's in a tomb and it looks like all things are hopeless and and now we're in a room meeting together and we don't know what to do. We're going to go fishing. And it looks like that that distress has come upon them. But what the Lord has said to them is that I'm not going away from you. I'm coming towards you because only what you see in the flesh is going to be gone. But what I'm telling you now is I'm not just going to be a friend on the outside. I'm going to be a friend on the inside. I'm not just going to be your master on the outside. I'm going to be that master that lives in you and with you every single day of your life. Wherever you go I'm going with you whatever you do I'm going to be with you this is the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit of God Oh, we don't get to see Jesus anymore I don't remember any of the disciples apostles complaining about that because when they were endued they knew what spirit it was And when the Lord had instructed them, receive ye the Holy Spirit, they knew what it was. And when the Lord came down in manifestation of His Spirit upon them, they knew exactly what it was. And when they began to speak with tongues that they didn't know, they knew exactly who was giving them the tongue. And when they went outside to preach, and they preached Jesus Christ in foreign languages to them, they knew exactly what they were doing as they were speaking under the inspiration of of the one who had filled them with the Spirit from on high. I think we have a problem. We, we get caught up in our ideas and thoughts and put limits on God. They used to send me a questionnaire. How many people in your congregation got filled with the Holy Spirit this year? I never send it back. I'm not the judge of that. You're the judge of that. When the scripture says be filled with the spirit, that's something you're going to have to deal with. Can you say amen? You're going to have to deal with God. I open myself, Lord. Breathe your breath of life and spirit into me. And now I don't care if you use me to lay hands on people and touch them. If you use me to say a word or a prophetic word. If you use me to speak a language, then I'm going to do that. But it's going to be by the, by the inspiration of God that's not natural but is supernatural. I don't want the natural stuff. I don't want that. I want the supernatural of God, hallelujah, hallelujah see, really Jesus is preeminent in all things I close the book this morning to tell you that he's preeminent in all things that would include the infilling of his spirit Jesus preeminent, he doesn't hand off to another to carry out his will, no he he doesn't because in him All the fullness of the Godness dwells bodily. And may I say this to you, and I want to encourage you, Lord, we need the Spirit moving in this church, and sometimes we take that for somebody jumping up and running around the church. Boy, we really had the Spirit move today. Man, I'll tell you what, we had chaos. Well, I've been in a lot of that. And I would say in a lot of chaos, usually the Spirit of God has left the building. That's what I would say. But all by himself, Jesus, say this with me, Jesus all by himself. Okay, now the rest of you say it with me. Jesus all by himself will baptize me. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for strength by the Holy Spirit of God in my life. I'm looking for a change, a change come over me. I'm looking, how many is looking for a change? You got some, you got some things, you know, just uh, oh man, that needs to change a little bit. I got some stuff that, that. oh God, you got to work on it in my life. I just, I just, Oh. that's where the Holy Spirit of God steps in and begins to empower you, first of all, in holiness, second of all, to be a witness of his salvation power. Is everybody good? I mean, at this time, usually in a class, you say, if you have questions, raise your hand. I'm not doing that. (laughs) Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Fall on me, Lord. So every time we sing Holy Spirit, now, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Get your mind off of a different apparition. What we're saying is, Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome here. You're not only welcome here, you're welcome here. Amen, let's pray. Lord, we just, I poured out everything that is in my heart that you had birthed in me. And I know that sometimes people can take things wrong or misunderstand things, but Lord, I keep you central. In this church, we've got one main goal of this church and teaching, and that is to keep you central in everything, preeminent. And So, Lord, we ask you, God, just pour out. Sometimes, speaking to the Christian church, we need to be filled often. We need to be filled for the things in our life that that we can show Christ, that we can show a witness to our families, that we can show a witness to the people around us. That comes by your infilling, Lord. We get weak in our flesh, and we need to be filled with your spirit, Lord. So we ask you, God, this happens in this body over and over and over and over again. Fill us, Lord, with your presence and your spirit. We ask it in your name, blessed Jesus, amen. Can everybody say amen?